Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a new partner, Arostia, a new coffee roaster based in Queens. This company was created by and is run by a huge fish fan, Andy Hollander, who hasn't caught a hold your head up since 12, 15, 95, but is definitely not bitter about it. I've had this coffee and it's really great. Andy started roasting coffee during the pandemic, taught himself, and then that turned into this label, Arostia, which launched late last year. I had a bag of the Ethiopian coffee and it was gone really quickly because I liked it so much and I drank a lot of it and I need more. The beans were grown at an altitude of 2,100 meters above sea level, which contributes to a dense bean that continues to develop its flavors after the roasting process is done. The tasting notes include apple, raisin, and caramel, and there are more coffees coming very soon. So support this fan-owned business and try the coffee today. And for Osiris listeners, there's a 10% discount code on the site. Use the code OSIRIS at checkout for 10% off your order, and stay tuned for the launch of a coffee subscription. You can order and sign up for the mailing list at arostia.com. That's A-R-O-A-S-T-I-A.com. And you can find Arostia on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks, Arostia. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Hi friends, welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 
91. We are here with someone who's been on before, Jonathan I. Jonathan Hi. and I are here. Hi, Jonathan. <laughs> we're here with Rob. Rob Mitchum. How are you doing, Rob? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, this is great, and I'm, I'm glad you're you're on. Um, you are a uh, welcome guest, as always, and we're excited to review Fall Tour um, now that it's over and, and it's behind us, and we've had some time to think about it. Um, so thanks again for joining us. Um, Rob, before we get started into the fish stuff, uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on with you. Um, I know that we talked a little bit shortly about um, some Spotify stuff you did about the, the political stuff that was going on before um, last Tuesday's outcome. <laughs> <laughs> to put it neutrally, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so I just finished writing a bunch of uh, data stories for Spotify. I was doing one a week leading up to the election. Uh, each one sort of pulls Spotify data to look at different political topics and how music either talks about those topics or somehow reflects them. Uh, so things like songs that talk about student debt or what do people listen to on super hot days uh, to try and anticipate climate change or uh, how do different genres talk about guns in music. So uh, you can find that on Spotify's Medium page, which is just uh, medium.com slash at Spotify. And what I enjoyed about it being on Medium is that if you click on my byline for those stories, it takes you right to like the couple dozen fish essays i have posted on medium so oh nice it was a good like uh, subliminal way of getting some <laughs> fish coverage in there a direct oh, sweet. A, yeah direct bridge if you will so um it's really good i mean spotify's got a huge audience obviously but um what what have you done uh, otherwise i know you've written for you know last time you're on we talked about pitchfork and that kind of stuff is there anything in the works or or anything coming up yeah, uh, just, you know, a few, like, personal projects kicking around right now. Uh, I've been doing some work for Uncut magazine, uh, which is a British magazine, covers mostly uh, sort of classic rock type stuff. I wrote a big thing about the uh, the big Grateful Dead tribute that The National put together uh, a few months ago when that came out, which you can find online. And, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, well, I'm about to start my annual album of the year spreadsheet. So if you follow me at Rob Mitchum, you can... Uh, see all the different album of the year lists from different publications i every year i put them into a big spreadsheet and do some statistics and visualization around that so it's not really like a paid gig but it's a fun thing for people to follow if they're interested in it. nice I, I look forward to that kind of thing every year and, and I, i'll definitely be following that i can't decide if i'm going to do a list this year but i usually say i'm not going to and then come january one i slip something out there but just can't help it a lot it's a lot of good music. It's a lot of good music every year. Um, even in the bad years, there's plenty of good music. So, Yeah, and I started doing these spreadsheets because it's so hard to keep up with everything. That right. um, it, It's kind of my late year cramming session to see all the, listen to all the stuff I missed. So, uh, yeah, but it's a lot of fun. I had to turn in a list for Uncut in like mid-October, which I thought was preposterous. And it'll be completely different by the time I get to the end of the year. But yeah. they are uh, something called a print magazine, which still exists in the world. <laughs> in and they have to get these things done really early. So. Right, because there's still Clinton records quotes. coming out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They've got to kill some trees and get um, out there. Once you yeah, I don't know. Stuff. I'm not quite sure if the record companies look at it that way. But, in fact, I, I, if anything, I would be surprised if they aren't making for – they aren't making conscious decisions to try to get their stuff out in time to make these kinds of lists. So earlier yeah. in the year, perhaps, but, but there's still great stuff coming out, you know, um, 
and and the way some of these artists work nowadays. Kendrick Lamar could be dropping two albums between now and New Year's for all we know. <laughs> uh, yeah, the last couple of years there's been a uh, December surprise. Like yeah. uh, D'Angelo came out right. in December and screwed right. everybody up. Beyonce uh, came out the year before that in December. So, uh, and to, for the most part, in music critic time, it's already 2017. Like all the promos I get are now early 2017. But yeah, you always get somebody. Uh, sneaking one in under the wire. That's great. So, I, and we forgot, you mentioned your at Rob Mitchum feed. Uh, there's also the at Fish Crit uh, feed as well on Twitter that you are you are a prolific Twitterer. So you had to, you had to create your own for Fish, right? Like your own. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just in case, I, uh, all the fans out there who, uh, the, the, the thin slice of the Venn diagram who care about me, but don't want to hear what I have to say about fish. <laughs> I decided to keep it uh, segregated into its own feed. So nice. That's fair. Nice. Thanks. So, so um, I guess a little bit of the news to fish news uh, before we get started is, is, I mean, the first thing I think of is Mike tour, right, Jonathan? Uh, yeah, that starts in like next and on the weekend. I don't remember what day it starts. A couple but it's days, coming up. Yeah. 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 Cool. So, so probably right before this, uh, right before this comes out. And then uh, MS. So oh, and I guess we have to, we got to talk about Vegas a little bit more, even though Jonathan and I have already talked about it. But I think the the I don't know who won, but I know there was the, the contest, the um, costume contest, and the guy who dressed up like the younger guy in that video, in that promo video that Mike had. Uh, Mike retweeted and was a super fan of, so I thought that was cool. Oh yeah, the uh, the guy who dressed like Mike with the pizza ping yeah, pong yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah, that, that was pretty cool. That was good good grab on Mike's part to pull that one. I did not even find the photo booth area for my my costume wasn't really worth a picture anyways, but uh, I didn't even find it. But, <laughs> and it, as as to who really won Vegas, I think it was everybody who went. Um, yeah, they, they did all right. So. Uh, otherwise, we've got New Year's coming up, which is, is going to be great. We haven't heard anything more about that 13-day night run uh, that's been rumored, but we'll see how that goes after the start of the year. Um, and importantly, Tom Marshall has had four episodes come out, the most recent with you, Jonathan, and RJ, uh, talking about tapers and um, just kind of reviewing that. So that's a huge... A boom for us, and it's a huge success for Tom. I mean, obviously, he's he's putting a good product out there. Yeah, um, we should mention that it's called Under the Scales, um, and if you don't know about it by now, you probably haven't been paying attention because I know we've been talking a lot about it, and uh, a lot of other people have too. But it's terrific, and not just because I had the good fortune and pleasure to be on it, but uh, he's he's putting together some cool stuff, and uh, I think. It should be of interest to pretty much every fan. And I guess a little bit more self-promotion. Um, we've got a couple of huge episodes coming up. The Tom the Tom episode was obviously well-received, but um, we've got a Fish.net collab episode coming up soon that we're, that's in the works, and we're excited about that. And also uh, Jefferson from UM, the Umphreys, is going to be on to chat about his fish love and, and just the things that he does for, for Umphreys. So, um Big things coming up, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about Fall Tour 2016. Uh, it's over. It was short, I would say, comparatively. Um, a little or, bit. You know, maybe it was from what some people want. But, Rob, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, how you felt about it, maybe the impact of the new songs from Big Boat, maybe Big Boat itself. I don't know. Just, you know, your general thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a really good tour overall. And definitely, I think everybody felt 
sort of lukewarm about the summer tour. I think mm-hmm. it's fair to say this was a reassuring sort of uh, step back to what we've expected the last couple of years. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it started out being framed by Big Boat coming out right before the tour started. I think it was just the week before, or pretty close. Yeah. Um, but as yep. is typical for Fish, like it seemed by the end of the tour that it was no longer about Big Boat, even though a lot of those songs popped up a lot and uh, sort of, I guess. Uh, it was sort of a background story, but I don't know, like any fall tour with a Halloween show, I think in retrospect, it was more about leading up to the Ziggy set rather than any sort of big boat promotional tour as if they would do such a thing. Yeah. So it's, it's <laughs> right. funny that um, it was leaked, you know, whatever, I don't even know how many weeks in advance of it actually coming out. So I think a lot of us had heard it, heard it a few times, and maybe a lot of people were just like, "Okay, let's get started with the tour." You know, moving on. I don't know. I think the band probably was to some degree, but you know, obviously, as they always do when they have a new record or just a batch of new songs, whether there's a record or not, they they played them kind of heavily, uh, but not really too heavily. Mm-hmm. We did get a petrichor in almost every city, but um, who can blame them? That's a, a pretty big thing, and they've got it rehearsed, and they should definitely have been hitting us with it so you know but otherwise i agree i think it i think it became you know a little bit of big boat and then a little bit of ziggy and then you know indoor fish in the fall what could go wrong yeah i wonder if there was ever a time in fish history to be honest where people were like i can't wait to hear these new songs live i mean it's always kind of been like big boat where half of them are right like you've already heard and the studio version is always like a disappointing version of what we've already Already heard, with a few exceptions. Yeah, uh, I have a, a reputation for being a studio mal- studio album hater, and Big Boat didn't change my opinion any. But uh, yeah, <laughs> usually I think yeah. yeah, usually I think people will listen to the studio version of a song they've already played live once, and then never again. Uh, I, but there, I, I mean, there were a couple things on this record that I felt like there was some excitement about how it was going to turn out live. Like I don't know if people even expected them to play Petrichor in the first place and then they opened the tour with yeah. it yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a good point and then um i don't know I, I flagged i always wanted it this way like right away after hearing it as i'm actually pretty impressed with how this came out in the studio and i have no idea how it's going to sound live and yeah. yeah i was real excited to see that one uh pop up over the over the tour and then friends which opened the album we heard before the album came out and we haven't heard so did they not even play it I don't think they, they played it at all on the tour. No, so but they also didn't <laughs> and then they played, on the tour. played Mercury like what is it four or five times after yeah. complaining in all their interviews about how Bob Ezrin talked them out of including it and yeah, they just played ass handed like eight <laughs> times in twelve shows. And <laughs> <laughs> so just, yeah, but that, know, that only predictably unpredictable. I guess ten yeah. minutes of music, you know, you could play ass handed twenty times and it would still yeah. be shorter than your average sparkle. So. <laughs> Right. Hey, don't complain about Sparkle. Um, Not complaining about Sparkle. <laughs> so you, you mentioned a little bit of, of Ziggy, Rob. Um, did you see it coming? I, you know, I for one knew they were practiced. Right. I, I don't think I was the only one who had that thought, but I, I wasn't sure that Ziggy was coming, especially because there was so much rumor about it. So they teased it at the Jimmy Fallon appearance, right? Like. Right. Uh, Fish Suffragette at the Man City. was Johnny on the spot with it. Said that uh, they were played like 15 seconds of Suffragette City, and then everybody's like, oh, of course, they're just uh, they're yeah. being misle- right. misleading on purpose. They know everybody, somebody's going to leak that, and everybody will go the other way. And yeah, so that turned out not to be the case, though. I, I mean, it did, 
make me sort of had in the back of my mind as I was listening to each show over the fall, like, all right, if they really were playing Ziggy, how would I see it influencing what they're doing right now? Uh, so it made it a little easier then to go back and say, hey, if they were practicing this album every night, this, these are the ways that it sort of came out in the in the jams that we heard. Um, and I think it was a really good influence on this tour. And I think yeah. had a lot to do with how positively people responded to some of the big jams. Um, I have a whole theory about this, and I don't know if you want me to jump into it right now. Yeah, but, we, uh, we like theories. We, we definitely <laughs> like theories. Yeah, so, well, first of all, like, I have done a, like, a ton of reading on Bowie this year, uh, just for the obvious reason of him passing yeah. away, and also because I discovered uh, the Bowie Songs blog, which, if you guys haven't seen it, or anybody out there hasn't come across that yet, it's bowiesongs.wordpress.com. It's by a guy named Chris O'Leary. He, I think about five or six years ago, sat down and said, I'm going to write a blog post about every song David Bowie recorded. Um, And he started out just writing a paragraph or two, he said, over like the breakfast table. And it very quickly sort of spun up into these really deep historical contextual posts on not just the making of the song, but, you know, what was in the air at the time culturally, what Bowie was reading, like what was influencing his music and his style and just his entire philosophy. Um, And it's like some of the best music writing that I've come across uh, recently. He put out a book, too, called Rebel Rebel, which is kind of like he took the blog posts and uh, bust them up a little bit for publication. Uh, And it covers uh, Bowie's first songs all the way through Station to Station, so right before the Berlin era. And I know he's working on the second book now. So so Ziggy has always been a favorite album of mine. I feel like from reading his posts and reading his book, I, like, learned so much about what was actually going on in that era for him. And I think, you know, it's sort of one thing that maybe isn't fully appreciated about that era is that, so so Bowie was a genius. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. But part of his genius was that he knew (laughs) the best people to collaborate with um, through all the different eras of his life. Uh, And that album and sort of the the two before it and the two after it, uh, Mick Ronson was basically his big uh, second-hand man, right-hand man. And I feel like Ziggy is probably the one album that really has mixed fingerprints on it more than anything else. And I feel like a lot of the ways that practicing this album and diving deep into this album, the the study that Fish had to do to put this album together, uh, what really came out of that is a lot of Mick Ronson's style coming out in uh, Trey style. Uh, And I think... That's kind of what we heard in a lot of the big jams this year, because what what jumped out to me, like Mick Ronson is a very simple and melodic guitar player. Like he writes riffs that are not flowery. They're not complicated. They do their thing in just a handful of notes, but they're instantly catchy, instantly memorable. Um, And I just think if you look at every big jam that Fish played leading up to Halloween at the end of the tour, that's what really set things apart is that Trey was hitting on these melodies a lot more. There wasn't a lot of like sheets of noise, machine gun Trey soloing. There was like, you know, sort of big peak hose moments where he did that, but the way they assembled them was through these like smaller, I think, building blocks of melodic riffs that, of course, now that we know that this is what they were practicing, when you look back on it, sure. sounds very McRonson-y to my ears. It's also quite evident, if I may interject, in some of the, the smaller, the, you know, the 
the micro jams, if you will, the, the little nine minute versions of a five minute song where they did a nice, you know, compact jams like a, you know, maybe on a version of birds or something where they didn't go out for 16 minutes. But, you know, there was a lot of that kind of focused melodic jamming from Trey. And also, would you say we were talking during the tour on our quick hits and just uh, on the side about Trey's tone? And a lot of people commented, you know, he's got Marshall head out there. He's ditched the Fender amps. And, you know, it's got a uh, kind of a raw tone, to, to put it in, like, the most lay, layman of terms. Um, but now, knowing what we know, it kind of, do you agree, kind of makes sense that he would lean in that direction uh, sonically in order to get that Bronson sound. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not a huge like gear guy, but I do know mostly from reading uh, the Bowie Songs blog and Chris's book uh, that he was known. Um, I wish I could even remember the the type of guitar. That's how bad of a gear guy I am. I don't remember the guitar. That's right. But he was known for basically having a really simple setup where he just had everything cranked up nice. and played <laughs> like in the studio, just cranked everything to its max and played like you know like just like raw flat right into the right into the mics um and i think yeah you hear that as well from trey like and uh, you know and on the ziggy set itself which i to be honest have more mixed feelings about like i'm not so sure that the set itself was that great uh but he got he got the tone right on uh and you can really tell on something like ziggy stardust the title track that you know he did his homework in a very very trey sort of way there isn't those huge peaks uh, from the jams, um, there's not super long jams that end in you know enormous peaks and builds. There seem to be more exactly of, of what Rob was talking about. It's just kind of a melodic jam that they take to different places. Mike, to me, was always dominant in the back half of jams, um, and that's maybe because Trey was just kind of doing the riffs and, and these melodic riffs that, that they were taking different places. So... That's what I got from it, and, and it's fun, as Rob mentioned earlier, to, to listen back and say, oh, man, it's awesome to know now that they were practicing Ziggy um, during this entire time, and you can definitely hear the influence. And that's and I was telling people this in, in, in Vegas as well. I, I, you know, whatever, whatever they play on Halloween is going to be great, but it's also going to be great to go back and listen to the, the, the rest of the fall tour so we can hear the influences. Yeah, I'm certain we discussed that when we, when we were there. And uh, I, I want to second your comment about Mike. He's definitely, uh, I don't want to say stepped up, because Mike is really always present, and he's always been right. a very strong force in the band. Um, but I really enjoyed his contributions in this tour, um, you know, watching him do the uh, solo on Roger in, uh, in Vegas, which I know I pronounced wrong, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> it was just unbelievable. It was just it was it was really outstanding and um is it so like Roger like R O W J like kind of like No, no, no. I, <laughs> I just think of it as like um you know soft G like Mike Soft G Jordan. <laughs> also hashtag micro gems. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean I think you know in addition to well so one thing about Trey as I hear it, simplifying things and hitting on these melodic riffs and i think the more important thing is that he stayed there which i think if there's something that trey has a tendency to do in the modern era is mm-hmm. that he just can't like he's too scattered sometimes yeah, he always shiny. wants to move on to the next thing 
And, and that's more than just ripcord tray. It's also in jams, I think. I mean, it created some great jams, oh, yeah. too, but he just always wants to move on to the next thing. What I hear a lot in something like the Alpharetta Simple or the Vegas Golden Age is Trey actually taking his time and saying, hey, this little five-note melody I came up with sounds pretty good. I'm going to stick on that for a while. And then what I think you really hear happening is if he stays there for, you know, 60, 90 seconds, the rest of the band actually has time to, like, build up and introduce their own ideas in a way that they can't do if he's just a constantly moving target. So, like, everybody talks about how in the Golden Age, like, there's a part that where it really takes off is all of a sudden Paige starts going wild. I don't know, it's like nine or ten minutes in there. And if you listen to it, like, leading up to that, Trey, like, settles down into something pretty regular, a nice regular pattern, and then all of, and then it's like Paige and Fish kind of rush to uh, push it up to another notch. And that's where it got really exciting, I think, is just that it, it there was more patience, I felt like, than we've heard certainly this summer and i think even in recent years even in some of the some of the better years yeah it's um, it's a common theme for us uh that you know the band has become more democratic is kind of what we call it but this is this is the benefit of it because phil or uh, trey stepping back phil trey stepping back and leaving some space allows others to fill it you know and um it's fun to hear especially when they're all practiced and they're all uh, on the same page and I would point out that I think we'll, we'll talk about the shows coming up here probably not all of them but most of them but the the first night in Charleston the second song was Ghost and I thought that was like the most patient Ghost I've heard in quite some time and that, that's a pretty good indicator that you know they were just kind of oh we're not we're not in a rush to get anywhere so right I'd like to follow that thread also about you know Trey um, you know giving giving room to the other players, which, uh, you know, he used to do very conscious things to allow for that, such as his little mini kit in 95 and the keyboard he had a couple of years in 99 and, um, those kinds of things to kind of push the other band members to move into the forefront. And I think it's great that he doesn't need to fall onto one of those things, um, in order to get Paige and Fishman to take the charge in a jam. Although it's, we do have uh, the marimba, so... Yeah, yeah I was going to say, yeah. it's kind of like the return I, of the mini kit in some ways this year. In some ways, but I don't think the... Uh, the, the I don't think that the motivation is the same. I think it's a, it's a toy that Trey's really into, and uh, I think he's, you know, they take the whole band into a different direction. And now whether it's um, worth doing night after night after night is a question that some people have already answered to. Um, but <laughs> about, uh, I, I, I don't about, know if it'll stick no, around. Sorry. Sorry. It's going to be around at least for Mercury, right? Because right. Fish well, the instrument will stay. Little, yeah. But it's, it's, but it's, it doesn't mean they're going to keep going to it as a, as a full on jam vehicle right. or It's whatever. interesting that they've like three of them have played it. Fish has played it by himself. Trey has played it by himself so that in itself is at least interesting i like the fact that it's become more percussive uh, as far as a, a tool than it was when it first started it just seemed to be they were playing with tones and sounds and you know distortion or whatever to start it was cool it was cool that they played they reprised twist on it though that was kind of nice yeah i think um said this a bunch over the last year or whatever on twitter but I really think it would make a huge difference if they moved it down between Trey and Fish instead of behind Fishman. Um, to me, it just seems 
really awkward and like an invasion of space in some strange way when he like runs up there and is right behind Fishman. And I think it does kind of like throw off those jams more often than not. Uh, Just because it's kind of like, I'm not sure the rest of the band always knows what to do when he does that. Um, And that leads to some awkward jams that kind of just circle a lot of the time. I do think a couple times this fall it worked and it worked more often than it did in the summer. And I think, you know, to circle back to uh, I Always Wanted It This Way, the one I saw in Dallas, uh, I thought was like the perfect use of the marimba. Like, and that song is like, that is absolutely the right time. Because Trey is already kind of just playing like a pretty locked in rhythm guitar for that whole song, that that song's jam especially. Uh, So it made total sense for him to go up there. And then like the, the mix of that sort of double drum attack with, uh, Page screwing around on his new synthesizer sounds and uh, I don't know, Mike using his Taurus foot pedals. Like, I, w- I really want them to go farther in that direction, to be honest, because that's it's kind of like the freshest sound texture I've heard from them, maybe, you know, in all of 3.0. Like, it doesn't that really jumped out to me as new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, you know, I worry a little that it sounds like the kind of jam band that I really did not like in the 90s, like sort of Jamtronica, Disco Biscuits, and New Deal. that lineage. Yeah, I feel like Fish is just way too corny to really go down that route, so I'm not too worried about it, but I'm glad they're trying something new. I feel like I've always felt that like an untapped potential with them has been Paige's more digital synthy sounds like they always they popped up a lot around like sick of disc era but i feel like they they come and they go just in brief flashes and i always want more so this is definitely a song where he can go wild on it and uh yeah i'm really excited to see where it goes my my main theory about it is that um everybody felt bad for page after the rolling stone article and they asked him what he wanted to do and he's like i want to play more vita blue and then so they're like all right cool let's do it (laughs) well hopefully page is picking up the positive feedback and it's encouraging him as a writer because he actually i think that's one of the highlights from the the album and hearing it on tour as well is not just this song but um you know just page as a as a songwriter you know he had home he had uh things people do um and, you know, more of that, I think, would be good. I think it would be good for Fish and good for us. Yeah, I, like, uh, I, I was surprised I didn't play Home more. I thought Home was me too. one mm-hmm. of the more promising songs from Big Boat and had, a, like, a like you know a ready-made jam right built in almost more than any other song on that record, even the ones they had jammed before. And, uh, yeah, I agree. I think Paige is, whereas where I think Trey might be in kind of a rut, for songwriting, I feel like Paige is like hitting this sort of late blooming period of his career where he's he's doing surprising things, which is you know crazy for a bunch of fifty year olds in a 30, 33 year old band. Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy to think how old they are and how long they've been around. <laughs> I want to get into the fall tour specifically, but I also don't want to go show by show because I think that would just take up too much time and. Uh, we might lose people. So um, let's start by kind of giving some highlights maybe, and then let's get into the music. And then on the on the back end, we can talk about our favorite parts or favorite jams. What do you guys think? Yeah, let's just kind of jump in, you okay. know. So 
tour started in in Charleston again. I, I we don't have to go show by show, but you know, and it was you mentioned the I think Rob, you mentioned the Petrichor opener right at the right out of the gate, and uh, there was a good light jam. Um, but you know, I I went back and I listened to the second Charleston show, and I was just like, I liked it at the time, but uh, it didn't really blow me up um when i went back and i'm sorry if you guys whoever was at charleston is listening to this and is offended it's not that it's bad it's just that i i didn't nothing was like i gotta be talked about on the podcast nothing screamed at me when i played it back but you know that little chunk those shows in uh jacksonville um they had some good stuff there was a like a piper um big piper in jacksonville um, it's first time they played there, and I thought that was pretty cool. Do you guys have any thoughts? I mean, what do you, Rob? What do you what do you think about that first chunk of the tour there? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's I kind of like in some ways these short tours being that kind of obsessive person that has to listen to every show now right. the morning yep. after. Um, if it was much longer than three or four weeks, I think I would like go out of my mind and. Uh, probably get a little burnt out so in, in that sense it's really good and it's nice to kind of have like a you know you can kind of see a pretty you know some easy narratives with a three-week tour like this but the problem is that you know they don't get warmed up very fast anymore um they don't play as much with each other between tours as they used to so yeah unfortunately you get this sort of warm-up weekend which has some you know pretty solid highlights like i think that charleston light like just to circle back to what I was talking about with, you know, this sort of melodic jamming style that came out this fall, the light does a great job uh, of being like a prologue to that. It's, it's not the longest jam. It's only, it, I think it's just barely gets over 10 minutes, but the back half of it is, and light has, you know, typically has been a jam that is really sort of fluid and shapeless and hard to latch onto. And this one, it hits some like really definite themes. Uh, so I think, you know, if you go back and listen to that, you can see the seeds of what was going to happen the rest of the fall. Yeah, you um, really can. Opening with Petrichor, I mean, that's like, they love that kind of like, uh, let's throw down the gauntlet opener. Like, you know, it reminded me a lot of the Fluffhead opener back in 09. Like, yep. hey, we're going to drop this 15 minute piece of prog on you. Um, statement. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And something they're, you know, clearly, I think, proud of being able to do and they want to show off. Uh, and I like Petrichor. Like, I like sure. it. It really grew on me, this tour. I, I you know, I, Big Boat, I think I listened to it back when Trey debuted it with an orchestra like once and was like, yeah, I can't make right. any sense of this. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it, it really grew on me. I think there are some parts of it that are very like new Trey, like solo Trey like that sort of great on my nerves but it has just like a really nice nice uh nice build uh you know and it's it's got some classic fish elements that don't feel you know just drowning in nostalgia either so um yeah yeah that was that was i sorry to interrupt but um it's nice to hear to me it kind of reminded me of of, didn't remind me of it, but it made me think of the pigtail opener from the summer tour, where it's like, you know, they they know that we're expecting something and they're gonna they're just gonna throw it down, like you guys mentioned. So um, that was cool. You know, as far as you, thanks for asking, um, my highlights from the <laughs> the first weekend. I thought it wasn't <laughs> bad. It, you know, looking back, people were not at all. 
after after the Nashville, you know, obviously the Nashville set that we'll talk about with Bobby, people are like, oh, you know, they were just, you know, kind of boring and just kind of wasting time until they got to the Bobby set. Um, but, you know, it was good. I, I will point out the Mercury into Twist was pretty smooth and great. And, you know, later on we get more Mercuries uh, into other songs. But they've all, all those songs to me have been really good out of Mercury. Um, so... That was kind of a lead into to the to the how the tour is going to go. I, I should also go back and uh, revise my previous statement and said that the lengthwise in the maze intro is is really groovy fish and uh, is worth note. So yeah, sorry, that was, one that was last, Charleston. Yeah. yeah, one last interesting thing I thought like um, that there was like nobody at that Jacksonville show. And like it's like I wrote about this when I covered the Dallas show I went to for Fishnet, but it's just it's it was it was a weird tour itinerary when they announced it. Like, yeah, areas of the country that are not fish strongholds, right? Two Except nights for Vegas. in Charleston, right? <laughs> yeah, Charleston. I mean, they played two nights there. I was at one of those nights in nice. 2010. Nice. Uh, and Paige's family was there for a long time, so it's kind of got some like fish history. But like, right. everybody looked at Jacksonville and was like, "How the hell did they pick Jacksonville? Right. Like, this is not a typical stop." And then it was like half full. So, what I think is interesting and something to watch, and maybe they'll just avoid this by doing like you know 13 show runs at msg which they can sell out no problem or you know the vegas run or a festival or just sticking to where they know they can do these extended runs and get a lot of people but i'm really interested to see how they adapt to this like uh sort of playing places where they're not automatically you know these big superstars anymore right. like the dallas, the dallas shows were a really weird vibe because they were in a the smallest venue i've ever seen them it was like a five thousand six thousand maybe capacity venue and they didn't even sell it out like there were big empty parts of the balcony yeah, so that's crazy. it was a little bit like going traveling back in time to sort of 94 when they were playing big theaters and had to actually kind of like earn it instead of just showing up and being like everybody's gonna do everybody's gonna go along with whatever we want to do because we're fish so sure. on the flip didn't side really sound like a 94 show though no no i was gonna say on the flip <laughs> side it's like what was it in utah 11 when they covered dark side supposedly you know i read recently that you know brad came back and was like dude there's 32 people 100 here you need to just you know you need to just give it to them whereas make them pay yeah yeah whereas right. now they're like oh dude there's this place is half sold out like it's fine just do whatever <laughs> you know they're, well you know yeah. they go to jacksonville and you know you i i don't know who else looked at the tour dates and thought oh well the at least they'll play curtis low um <laughs> skinnerd and sure enough not only they played curtis low but trey talked at length about the, you know right. skinnerd in jacksonville and that's great um so uh somebody was really hot to get that song and i know i know people in florida who are ecstatic to get a florida show at all right and uh they, Other were, than Miami, they were right? all about it sure yeah but um you know so good for them to go there and then uh yeah then we got so then the next block of shows was pretty notable um and had Vegas not gone down the way it had, this would probably be the centerpiece of this uh, this conversation. These four shows, they they go to Nashville, they play. I don't know, it's a fine first set, mm -hmm. and then um, Bob Weir comes out, and we get in addition to having Bob Weir sit in with them on Samson and Delilah, they play jams with 
Bobby and like big jams and unique jams. Right. Um, I, I'd say uh, not just because they've never played playing in the band, but I mean, the jam in that was notable. And then, of course, the twist jam was kind of a monster. Yeah, they so, played uh, twist. So I mentioned it earlier, twist into Mercury two shows before. Um, and they were warmed up to it, but you know, I don't know how they warmed Bobby up to it. They'd had to have gone over Miss You, or he had a you know, an, a tablet in front of him, and they had to have gone over Samson. But you know, maybe they just talked about the chords and the key and said, "Let's do it, Bobby." I don't know. It's fun to listen to him play those riffs or or his chords. Bobby knows. Well, one of my can. favorite things about that uh, twist is that Bob has no clue what to play at the start of it. Like he when he comes oh, yeah. in. Like the first chords he plays are like, like in a in a different time oh, yeah. zone no, from yeah. <laughs> what what Twist should be. And Twist is not the most complicated song in the uh, Fish repertoire, <laughs> so uh, I think he could catch on pretty fast. But but yeah, I loved it. I loved that they kind of like like they threw Bob in the deep end there. You know, I mean, right. it was better than anything from Fairly Well, <laughs> like as far That's as improvisation. Point. Right. Uh, so that was yeah, and like I. I am a person who's not that excited when Fish plays the dead or is always like longing for them to play the dead. I think at this point they've got their own thing and like it's fine, but you know, oh yeah, like don't don't get too caught up in it. So I and I'm not the biggest Bob fan either. Like I'm more Team Phil than Team Bob these nice. days. Yeah, but Bob, like I don't know, he reminded me what I like so much about old Bobby in that show because he's such a great rhythm guitar player. Rhythm guitar doesn't just have to be like sitting there and keeping things grounded. Like he was pushing them in weird directions, I think. Definitely in the twist, but uh, of course in playing when he's on his home turf. Like that sounded like a gooey, you know, early 70s dead playing. Like totally. It it really did. I mean, it it gave me that, um, I got that vibe from it that, you know, I haven't gotten from a version of that song in a long time, um, unless I was listening to a particularly good old tape. Um, so I, I'm, I, I don't think that fish with guests as a rule is my favorite fish, even if it is one of my, you know, a member of one of my favorite bands of all time, Bob Weir, um, on paper, even going, going into the show, knowing that he had set in a sound check, we were like, well, we're going to get, you know, I don't remember what he did at soundtrack walking blues or something. And, you know, and, and then that'll be fine and whatever. Yeah. But as I'm following along from home and listening to a crappy stream from home, um, you know, I was just growing ever more ecstatic because, you know, they were just kind of going for it. And I can't imagine being in the space and watching it, you know, okay. They did Samson. Cool. Wait, he's staying out. Oh my God. They're, Bobby's playing Twist. Oh my God, they're jamming Twist. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, they're still jamming Twist. Yeah. You know, and and Miss You. Bobby sang Miss You, and you know, it's clear he hadn't done that very many times. But um, but really, by the end of it, he had completely settled in, and he's just he 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 really drives that song home in a way that I think for some fans they hadn't heard Trey. Some fans didn't hadn't gotten it from Trey. They got it from Bobby, so whatever works. Yeah. And then the, um, go ahead. Ron. No, please, guys, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say I love that. Uh, yeah, Drew Hits found out from talking to Trey the next day that they had no plans to play West LA Fade Away, and Bob just started playing it. 
Oh, well, <laughs> they, that's a Bob Weir right there. And you know what? They played it. I don't. You know, they played it with him in what was that? Ninety nine, two thousand. So yeah, Trey just, Trey just played it last summer. But other than that, they were all just like, oh yeah, sure, we know how to play. Westlake, LA fadeaway. Right. I felt that's we, how they, we remember all the work. They felt the same way about about playing too. They're just like, oh, I know this song. You know, they've, yeah, they've thought about it. A but, and I mean, it's yeah. like even though I don't want Fish to play the dead all the time, I love that when they do, they are like an incredible dead cover band. Like when they get <laughs> yeah. like the first like ten seconds of Samson, you're like. Like holy shit! Like Trey yeah. has that tone down exactly. Yeah, and, and Fish, <laughs> like, Fish is exact playing exactly how two drummers would play. <laughs> I know that's yeah, it's crazy. No, well, so I think it's Fish is you know like the the Billy nineteen seventy two kind of loose and able to yeah. turn right. You know, which is just well, it's terrific. The best Billy around. Yeah, yeah. Without then me. they the... then they played another show in Nashville. I don't know. Stuff happened. <laughs> <laughs> people were disappointed but i don't think listening back it's not something to be disappointed about i don't think it, oh you know um the first set was like, people say we're snore you know kind of snorry but no way man i thought it was okay it was fine <laughs> yeah other than the fact um, that it sounded like Trey dropped his guitar during the beginning of theme but other than that like the golden <laughs> age and tweezer these things happen golden age tweezer is good they busted out plasma and Running Out of Time was pl- first played that night. I mean, and, and that's a cute little song. Um, I like that song. Um, I thought the tune was good. So, yeah, I thought the tune was really good. So here we, here we, here we go. We, we're not going to go song uh, show by show, but let's go show by show. There's not that many shows. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's fine. It's fine. I, I didn't hear anybody put down Second Night in Nashville, and I would... No, not I, at all. I wouldn't agree with that at all. Like the, the oh, second really? set, that's like... like as good a flow as you're going to get these days. Um, oh, yeah, totally agree. All all arrows, all arrows. Yeah, and the uh, you know they were like toying around with plasma in the tweezer, right? And then came back around so. to play it for the first time in you know almost two years. And I, I thought it was great. I thought that was a great show. Great encore too. Walls, I think, is a different encore where you know nobody's really expecting it, especially with the, the set one closer of Shine a Light was kind of a encore you'd expect in such a show so um a little yeah. bit different there walls, too. Is a, walls is a great encore tune and then to you know oh and a tweezer reprise after that i mean god what? of course of course it's a good way to walk out one of only two all year all summer right or all fall yeah. only two tweezers in the fall yeah it, that's something where it's like the weird sort of omissions this year was like it was kind of crazy that there wasn't a you enjoy myself in vegas i mean I'm sure everybody there had to be calling it. You just, and, you, you uh, just expected it to come. Kind of were, yeah. 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 Um, but it, it never did. But I'll tell you, one thing I took from both tweezers is that they're just super efficient at tweezer. And maybe it's just a song they played so many times and they're so accustomed to it. And it's also not super complicated. But man, like especially the Vegas one, it was middle of the second set. And just they were into the funk and the dance jam before before you knew it. So... Super fun to, to listen to that. Let's go to let's, that's, let's start talking about that's their that's their natural language. Really, is the thing is that right. tweezer is that's how they talk. Talk to each other. So it's it's perfectly natural. <laughs> let's talk about um, Atlanta. Uh, RJ was there, which of course he's not on the podcast because we fired him. But um, <laughs> other, <laughs> so what what are your standout standouts, Rob, from uh, from that little weekend? Yeah, I thought both shows were really good, um, and then I. Like I would say, for me, the simple on night two 
that was the jam of the tour. Like, I know most people are drawn towards the Golden Age, I, but I love that simple. I just think it's, like, went in a totally unexpected direction. True. Um, that, that middle section with Trey, like, uh, you know, looping through the uh, Echoplex uh, is, like, exactly what I want from that Trey sound. Like, I feel like this year, again, he's kind of struggled with what to do with that thing. He loves playing with it. Uh, and it doesn't always pay off, and but when it does, it does big. And I thought that was one that was great. And then the forty six days, Sally forty six days was like that. That is classic fish hijinks that I miss yeah. so much and crave so much. That was, um, def- that, that was definitely the talk of the so town funny. after after that Saturday show, right? I mean, people were saying that was the highlight of the tour up to that point, and some will probably say it still is. I wonder if the no quarter, no quarter before simple kind of led to the darkness of that simple. RJ and I talked about that. That simple kind of reminded us of the simple from Dix. That was such a such a good little jam. It kind of reminded me of the same. So RJ really liked that simple, if I remember correctly. And um, I did. I, I want to shout out the the first night second set um, real quick because mm-hmm. that whole second set's pretty solid. Yeah. Big disease. Uh, nice winter queen. There's a Karini in there too. Then ghost and uh, and the slaves really good to close the thing. So close the set. So I like that set a lot. Yeah, it's a good that, point. Um, that, um, that go ahead, go ahead, Ram. Yeah, that that uh, that possum too was one of the moments this fall where I felt like, all right, they are definitely feeling it because even possum is getting like some extra extra mustard as the twitterers say um but because trey was really chopping up the intro for that in a way that you know he typically hasn't done since the 90s so uh yeah i mean that was it was there was big momentum coming out of atlanta and then uh hey dallas what's what happened (laughs) (laughs) So, so you went to dallas though which, I went to the yeah, first night, okay, which first turned night. out to be the uh, the right night of Dallas to go to. Um, and yeah, I'd already I've already talked about uh, the venue. Like, besides being small, was great. Like, it was a really awesome, cool, great sound venue. Like a brand new theater. Like, I just hadn't seen a place set up like that before. Uh, and you know, I actually I, I mean, I liked the show I went to. Like, I felt like it was a weird sort of all over the place show, um, but quirky in a in a fishy sort of way that felt right like the fuck your face ass-handed saw it again run in the first set was like that is the kind of like goofy thing that they would do like that that for me followed on from the 46 days sally stuff of the show before where it was just like we're gonna play all three of our like dark evil riffy songs trey and fish are gonna banter a little bit back and forth between these things and uh yeah, it was fun, and then I really, really liked, I always wanted it this way, uh, for the reasons I've already, already talked about, and one thing I want to point out is that I'm really happy I got to see one live, because given the sort of atmospheric nature of those jams, I think it sounds so much better in person than yeah. hearing it on Live Fish the next morning. Like, I just point. don't think you yeah. get sort of how that, those, like, especially Paige's weird synthy tones bounce around the room. Uh, sorry that was a bad pun um like when you're live <laughs> like it's got a good sort of like quadraphonic thing going on um and yeah i just i, I thought it was really cool uh, like i also the other thing i would bring up that i wrote about in my fishnet review is that that show officially made me hate the screens 
and I hope we never see them again after this year, uh, because yeah. especially in a really small venue and really close, it was like like watching a show during the daytime. Like they, they are, were just they are bright, lighting everything and, up. Yeah. Yeah, like I can see it in a big outdoor venue when I saw them at Wrigley Field. Like, yeah, okay, you need a big screen to entertain the people in the upper deck. Uh, but man, in a enclosed in a tiny space like that, they were they were not doing it for me. And like the best part of the show, lights wise, was Bowie, where Chris finally just shut them off and did hmm. old school fancy Bowie lights, and it was nice. amazing. Even though the Bowie was not the greatest, like gave me good old fashioned fish lights feelings in a way i didn't get from all the other yeah. shows i saw this year yeah to add to that point i think there could be more done with them than there there are right they, they seem pretty like technologically advanced but they're kind of still simple like the program that they, he runs seems to be like windows 98 where they're kind of like oh we'll make a we'll make a wave here so um i agree with yeah. you there that's like and the great thing about fish lights has always been that they're not a preset, right? They right. jam along with the band, right? right, right. It's as simple as that. Like the lights are part of the improvisation and they drive the band and the band drives the lights and it's great. So they have these like visuals that screensaver visuals that don't even like match up with the music in a lot of cases. They're just kind of floating without any tempo behind the band. It, it's like, it, it's shocking to me that they would be simple about it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I, this is this is overly you know, harsh, and I hope Chris Corota does not right, right, put me right. on a shit list. But it, Chris, like, Chris it, is never coming on the podcast. No. Don't worry. <laughs> um, especially after he hears me say that, I just just dance with my eyes closed. I, you, they, they could they could have the lights just offline for three songs, and I'd never know. <laughs> that's, there's nothing wrong with that. that that's not a joke. I mean, that's a really just You're don't even notice. Yeah. And, oh, plus, I like to dance behind the stage. Frankly, I can go up behind the stage. I can just right. see what the band is doing, and I can hear pretty well. And um, again, I don't really see the lights. This is the last time I'll make so. this point. I saw Radiohead, I think, in <laughs> 2010, and they had the same lights. I saw that tour. Right. Yeah. Where they in, in the first set or first half of songs for Radiohead, they were together, and then they... Um, separated them above their heads and they had and, and the visuals were a hundred times cooler than they are well, now. Well they were shooting video live like video from like right, right beside but also, Tom's they also uh, had, mic stand and stuff yeah. would be but they also had some pictures as well like all the integrated stuff. right so not only was it live video feed but like pictures were integrated and again to your point Rob it's like they still have like the rolling wave screensaver that you know, whatever. I, but we all love Chris and we, Jonathan. And radio hits really smoking, cool too. Some smoking uh, heaters uh, per usual in in Vegas. So I don't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah, no, they played uh, Water in the Sky in Texas, and yeah, out come the rolling waves. And <laughs> I was like, come on, guys! Like Fish, Fish is a corny band, but but, but right, you right. know, we got we got to have some standards. Yeah, no, we don't. Well, speaking of standards, let's talk. Uh, night two at Grand Prairie. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, it did. It did open with Daniel saw the stone. So and cities. There was nothing else. The they they opened with Daniel saw the stone, and that song is always great. And they so need to keep bringing it back every now and then, and maybe I'll get to catch it. So, so there was. I gotta self. say, it was kind of a predictable opener because uh, that venue 
hosts uh, like mega church services on weekends, oh, which I perfect. thought was like a really like cool detail that I was going to use in my review. And then I went in a different direction entirely. So <laughs> I was chatting with a friend before I went down there and he, uh, telling him that. And he's like, oh, they're going to open with Daniel. And it was right. Just not the show I was at. Sure enough. Um, I would also point out the first set was better than the second. And there was the, the cities into foam and our, our good friends at did they play foam on Twitter or our good friend, um, he had his payday then. But, um, man, the second set... Was they don't like, have a whole uh, staff of people there waiting for them to... <laughs> they do. Well, they're <laughs> all like underage. Man, yeah. the account at all times. <laughs> That's very difficult. You never know where they're going to play foam, yeah. Yeah, you got Plus, ears you know, I'd like to reiterate that, you know, that actually the foam bust-out was, was pretty important and pretty significant, um, if nothing else happened in, in Texas that weekend, at least that. At least that did. Also, it wasn't a weekend. It was weekdays, but you know what I mean. The other super important point is they played Number Line and Meat Stick and The Line and Tide Turns and um, all those things before Vegas started. So we didn't have to worry about it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys are loving it. I like Number Line. Yeah. I do too. Um, it's just fun. But also good. Um, and th- maybe we'll take this opportunity also to talk about something that we predicted before the tour. Uh, when we did our Big Boat album episode, was that the song More was blatantly a set closer. It was going to be a big rave up to end a set. And sure enough, there it is. And they, they did it there in that slot several times through the tour, and it's it's terrific. I, I don't think any version, any performance of it is bad. And I, if I put that on, I we were dancing to it in the kitchen earlier tonight. I mean, nice. It's just yeah. a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Well, and RJ, RJ pointed out after last Tuesday that it's a really poignant song, too, for us to kind of try to move on and deal with issues that we're having, including political elections and whatnot. Um, I'd also Stop point out... Stop trying to make me sad. Brad. Yeah, moving on. Um, but speaking of not being sad, we played they played What's the Use a lot again for a short period of time. They even had a stand-alone start or standstill start. Cold yeah, start, whatever are, you want to say. Those are not. Those don't count. Yeah, but right, so, what's, what's the use is my favorite fish song, like Bar Oh, none. for real? Oh, that's cool. Um, oh, and, cool. But I, it just feels so wrong when yeah. it starts cold. Right. Like it, that song is like designed to come out of a jam when it's just like mm-hmm. we've peaked as hard as we can, and then here comes in this big like oceanic like right. ambient sound. Um, doesn't it feel like yeah. it really belongs when uh, on a summer night when even after the sun goes down it's in the 90s or something like that and uh yeah. you know that the, the humidity is so high that it's affecting the sound that that's just my image of that song i don't really i'll let it go well, yeah like I, w- I wasn't there but just hearing about it from people who are at magna ball like that performance of it i think seems to have been that was that was what that song was waiting for probably the sort I of think so last set of a long weekend everybody totally silent and exhausted and yeah uh so but i love that song so good i i won't complain about hearing it i guess but like yeah it should it should come out of a big jam it shouldn't just be counted off not out of walk away (laughs) yeah that was a little strange too yeah i'm I'm happy they love playing it again i mean they can play it every night for all i care but uh yeah yeah this this falls versions did not move me i'll say Cool. So let's um, talk about I, I don't know the highlights. I guess of the four night run in at uh, in Vegas. I'll again echo my opinion that I think Vegas is gross and um, dirty, <laughs> but um, it's fun to 
it's fun to go see fish and I'll see them anywhere, including Vegas. So, um, obviously the golden age gets a big rave, uh, from everyone. Um, we got, uh, destiny and a limb by limb, the first set of the first night, which is our, our with a little bit of, me, so. a little bit of jam in that destiny. Just, yeah. Oh yeah. They little, took it for a little, little walk and, and the limb by limb and then, uh, steam that, that first set first night too, as well, which I thought was really good. So, um, I don't know, Jonathan. You you were there. I was there. What do, what do you think were the highlights for you from the weekend, the four days? Well, there were good 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 fish things happened. Um, <laughs> I like that they kept visiting the um, haunted house set every night. You know, with Martian Monster and then the birds and uh, as openers, and then the dogs. Third night, I'm just going to run through that because that was really cool. And then they completely pulled the rug out from under us on fourth night when we were sure it'd be like your pet cat or something. And they played Karini and then your pet cat. Uh, I thought, you know, that was just, that was terrific. And, you know, they, um, I think the overall, the whole weekend held up to a high level. Um, golden age jam was great. The, uh, next night, the tweezer, uh, really the, that second set, the Mercury Piper is real good. Sense is great, even without the intro. Tweezer, I always wanted it that way. That whole block right there on the second night was just, that was a nice big piece of music. That's my favorite part um, right there, that the the Saturday night Mercury Piper Sense into Tweezer, always wanted it this way, I think was the highlight for me. Again, I already talked about the Tweezer, but the Mercury into Piper, um, I went back and listened to the Mercury into Piper, and then earlier in the the tour, the Mercury into Twist, and I think um, this Merc, you know, this Mercury's great. The Piper's great. They can be interchangeable. They're both really wonderful. But um, for whatever reason, they've got the, that little jam down, and, and um, it's it's really fun to to, to listen to it. So um, I agree with you. And then we got another Shine the Light that night, second one of the tour. Yeah, no, that that was pretty cool. And then um, Disease the third night. I, I know I wrote the uh, fishnet recap for that show, and yeah, I, I still I don't remember half of it. We saw Have Mercy. They played Have Mercy, which was just outstanding, oh, and uh, I was yeah. so excited to see right. that. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that I, you, you know you'd be a fool to even chase, but kind of I'm like oh, I'd always love to see that, of course. But uh, wow, I never really thought I would. Um, so good right. stash. Right um, where it should be too. You wanted, yeah, uh, yeah. If you get your right have mercy, you wanted in the middle of a hood jam. Like, of course. It was, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Felt right at home. All right, yeah. so I've kind of not gone into talk about Halloween. Uh, I don't want to save that. So, uh, but I'd like to hear from you, Rob, about the uh, the Vegas weekend and those those shows and what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, it was. I think it was clear from the first night that. I was going to feel like a sucker for not going <laughs> like it was one of those, one of those runs where you're yeah. sitting at home, like, man, I, I really, I could have pulled this together somehow. What the hell was I doing? What was I thinking? And I was, what I was thinking was, man, spending four nights in Vegas, even with fish playing every night, sounds <laughs> awful. Yeah. yeah. And like, not just for the fans, but also for the band. Like I was a little bit worried. I'm like, are they going to be able to get out of four nights in Vegas? Like, sobriety intact and everything else yeah uh but but, man it was every night um yeah listening to it the next morning was just a pleasure and every you know after friday saturday and sunday i was like it's it's gonna ruin me even to like stay up and watch the webcast because it just goes so late 
but I'm yeah. really tempted. And I had to Did like you? talk myself into going to bed. Yeah, I was oh, like, wow. save it, save it for Halloween. You're gonna want to stay up for Halloween. Don't don't blow it on these other shows. But yeah, I mean, it and just you know all the sort of pieces that we got earlier in the tour. I mean, it just came together so nicely. Um, that doesn't always happen these days, but that was just like a perfect capper on the couple weeks that came before it. And yeah, good first sets. Um, Saturday night's first set, I thought was like some incredible playing. Like Gumbo was amazing. Right. Wingsuit right. and more like just, I mean, these were like, other than the Gumbo, these were pretty like, they were type one. They weren't like solos, but right. they they jumped out of the, jumped out of the speakers to me like they are they are really locked in right now um and yeah i just i feel like we haven't talked about it that much but i thought mercury was like a secret mvp of the tour like it didn't even really settle in until i started going back Mm -hmm. over all these shows in preparation for tonight but every mercury is really solid and it i don't know maybe it's like their like revenge on bob ezrin for kicking it off that now they're like we're gonna make mercury like like it, it could really be like the flagship song for right now uh, for Fish. Like if they keep it going next year, like that is like I I feel like the newest song that just really feels in their element and feels 2016. Like it doesn't feel like we're trying to relive, recreate something older. Like it's a new song. It's complex in a fishy way, but it's also emotional in like a elder dad rocky fish way uh and it has like open space that they haven't like jumped into it with like we're gonna start crazy jamming this right away but it's really bloomed nicely i think since it you know debuted a couple years ago so um yeah i mean that vegas one is is i I feel like people don't pinpoint it that often but it it was a really really solid version it just got better every time they played it this fall i thought quality uh tom marshall lyrics on that song as well yeah i really do like those lyrics are really cool. I like that song a lot. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned it's a couple of years old now, and they've kind of, we didn't hear much after they de- debuted it in Bend, um, thinking we were going to hear it more, at least I was. Uh, and then they, it kind of kind of waited, but it's back, and it's really great, and so fun to listen to it. I think I think the one in Vegas was like 16 minutes long or something, and um, yeah. we took it for a walk. It was nice after, you know, I, I think it's about 11 or 12 if, if they don't do anything with it. That was a good extra four minutes or whatever it was. And then I guess the only other one I'll point out before Halloween that I really liked was Birds of a Feather getting a jam again on this Yeah, that was show. really good. Um, I, and it was like, I, I went through kind of love and hate with Birds of a Feather in the 90s. Like when it first debuted, I hated it. I was like, this is such a blatant, like talking heads rip off. I can't believe they're going to try and pull this on us. And then I went to a ton of shows in 99 and saw it just like totally break out into a huge jam vehicle. And I'm, I'm ready for it to come back because it always created these like, like pretty dark and pretty rhythmic jams. And that one, that delivered, that, that, brought me right back it's interesting it's almost uh pre 2.0 kind of jams you know dark pre 2.0 but i always get it down with disease opener we talk about it all the time but set to <laughs> but it went into that birds and i'm like oh man this is this is going to be an average second set but it wasn't at all but it was a great transition yeah. into that birds i mean by the time right. they got there right. you, I, I don't know maybe i guess if i'd seen your shows maybe i would have been a little dubious and thinking it was going to be you know typical 
um, in some way. But I, I was where I was standing. I was I was over the moon. It was terrific. And then was, uh, yeah, as they were integrating bits of birds into that, and then they played the fuego and brought back the birds of feather and birds teases in that. I mean, it was just solid, solid set. And then of course the Have Mercy and Harry Hood Day mm-hmm. in the Life. That was um, suddenly there was a real strong emotional aspect into the in the, the show. Yep. And uh, great. And then then we some of us had another night. Some of us had to fly home. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I missed it all together, Rob. I don't know if you caught that, but I didn't I didn't stay for Monday. I just couldn't. Um, duty no. call. We went back so. and uh, trick or treated, right? Yeah, that's, of course. That's always an argument that yeah. I really like trick or treating. So right, right. I trick or treat uh, by myself. Um, and the good thing about them being out on the West Coast is you like, can get it done. done and then sit down and watch the show. So, right. Yeah. So my only point, you know, not being there, obviously, but they brought strings. I thought for sure after listening to the Big Boat album a few times that they were going to have horns and I thought they were going to do something with the horns and, you know, maybe play some of the, you know, no men's and all that, no men's and all that stuff um, with the horns as well, along with whatever set two was going to be, but they didn't, they had strings, which is again, you know, I guess them throwing me on my face. So, um, really Never surprised. Trust the prankster, Brad. Yeah. On. Really surprised to hear the strings, but super glad. And, and, um, the, the backing vocals too, I thought were outstanding. We're pretty deep into the podcast at this point. Um, because <laughs> yes. this is where I would, could make enemies. And I, Especially today, after listening back and jumping between the Bowie version and the Fish version, I don't really oh, you like should this. Never do that. Yeah, yeah, that's that <laughs> was my first mistake. But I did it. I did it for science and for research and for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I it did didn't it. really rub me the right way live watching it on the webcast. Um, even though it is like an album I like a lot and was kind of something that I always hoped that I had always hoped they would play. Um, but in the end, I think they were just way too faithful to the material. And I think the strings were part of the problem. I think they sounded great, but they also sounded just like the album. And hmm. because they were following a string arrangement, they couldn't really do a fish take on any of these songs. Like it was, and I think uh, it was a little too close to like uh, karaoke. And part of that is maybe that, you know, Paige and Trey were awkwardly walking around without instruments. Um, but nope. it just, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how that read on the, uh, you know, on the webcast, but I know that for those of us in the room and like my friends on the floor and us standing up behind, the, we were behind the stage again because that always find me. Um, and they, uh, it, it, that was kind of awesome watching. Page, of course, get up. We see him do it in Lawn Boy, but you know, and then Trey walking away from the guitar with the, taking the microphone and really belting it out. And I don't think that, um, you know, it got its kind of uh, maximum uh, payoff on um, It Ain't Easy, but when he did it for Rock and Roll Suicide, I thought that that was a really strong vocal performance. I totally agree that they could have opened up some of these songs and jammed and that would have been awesome. And maybe, maybe some of them will come back, but I think that they, you know, I, I know from what I read in the, in the playbook playbill thing that they, um, they, they brought the strings on because they wanted to make sure that they were doing, doing right by the record, by the original material. And, um, and yeah, that brings its, its limitations, its hangups. 
but uh, well, it's I, funny that, that you say that, Rob. I like I like the opinion because um, I've heard it both sides. I've heard people say that they were glad they stayed true to the album because it's it's more of the costume and it's more of the uh, true. I don't know whatever you want to whatever you want to say to Bowie. Um, but then also others are saying, well, why couldn't they you know put a little fish in there? Um, and I guess the strings are are one of the reasons. So that's it. I like that take. It's a good, interesting take. It's also really fun when they've got other people on stage, I think. No matter what, I know it's not them and they're not huge guests uh, band, but, you know, Bobby's set was obviously amazing and then and then this second set of Halloween was great. Um, and some of them are, are returners, right? Jennifer Hartswick and all those people have been there before, especially with Trey and, and Trey Band. So good times. And I, I know that they enjoyed it, which I guess is all that matters, right? It's like... So long as it you're having a good it, time, you know, try your best. It was great to hear, and Rob, surely you'll agree with this, it was great to hear Trey play that riff on Ziggy Stardust. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think... It was um, pretty terrific. And yeah. I was ecstatic just before we even got in the room, before we even left the hotel room, I was in my buddy's hotel room at the MGM, and we got word of what it would be, and I was like, oh my God, they're going to play five years. <laughs> and then I thought, oh my God, Trey's going to play Ziggy Stardust. You know, I was just... You know, it was just starting to hit me, um, and I, I loved Five Years. Um, I liked the way they sent the vocal around through the band, and well, I was yeah, happy I'm with definitely it. heavily influenced by the saltiness of not being there, of course. Um, and it's a lot easier to be a grumpy, entitled jerk about I'm, it when you're sitting at home. Um, I'm conversely very influenced by, you know, having been there and um, how could it have been bad? I was there. So right. I, yeah. I, I recognize That's this. Ways. I will say, just while I'm making enemies, um, <laughs> I, so the, 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 the song I most want to see come back is probably Moon Age Daydream, just because I think it's a great oh, song yeah. for yeah. Fish to play. It would be a great song for them to play without all the guests like it'll still hold up and work um but all that stuff i said earlier about trey taking cues from mick ronson and it paying off the rest of the fall he that mick ronson solo on moon age daydream is might be my favorite part of the whole record it is like a brilliant solo it's so good um and trey just like completely murdered it not not in a not in a good way like he he blew it (laughs) it, it's a very it's a beautiful like minimal solo that gets super noisy and effectsy and trey just like machine gunned all over it and i was (laughs) i was so disappointed (laughs) that that's what happened and i encourage anybody to sit there i mean yeah you were right never listen to them the real version and the fish version back to back but that's a case where i think it's really interesting to see how they're different players and how uh, learning how to play like Ronson influenced the rest of the tour, if not that specific performance, um, <laughs> because like it's it's a really remarkable solo uh, that for whatever reason he just decided of all the things not to recreate. That was what he chose. So oh, yeah. ADHD man, well, he's got he's got ADHD for sure. <laughs> exactly, he got distracted. I'll say I do. I loved Paige on Lady Stardust. I mean, that's like a oh, perfect, yeah. like Paige vocals song. Um, I thought, uh, you know, Ziggy and Separated City were both really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just something about it didn't quite do it for me, especially after you know two years ago the Haunted House set being, I think, the best Halloween 
I think I, for me now it's past remain in light yeah. and it was wow. like such a revelation and so exciting to watch, you know, at home in the moment. I just remember like freaking out about every song as it started right. up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by comparison, this was just kind of like, uh, like limp compared yeah, to that happening. Yeah. from thousands of miles away, of course. Right. So, um, they did play two sets of, um, and there's some really, there's some really good stuff in there. Trey mm-hmm. making fun of the, uh, the shirt nonsense about, you know, it's so tonight good. show shirt right. that a couple of times he brought that up and that was terrific. And then, um, and, uh, Petricor into antelope. It was a, Nice intense antelope. They did a "What's the Use" from a cold start right in the middle of that first set, dude. Because uh, I know I know you love those, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that uh, this third set I could do without the meat stick, but forty six days sand twist, and then that two thousand one. Uh, really, in the rest of it, number line slave. I mean, that's yeah, yeah two thousand one. It's back. It's back. Yeah, baby. It was good two thousand one. That and two, right? I mean, both those. I think the past two tours now show us that you know they're back to to jamming those or at least playing them with with some meaning but my only complaint and again this is me leaving three days into a four-day weekend is i think a lot of this stuff you know i talked about back number line and meat stick and all those being played uh the night before night before the vegas run started in dallas and and we still got them i feel like their Come on, whole, man! It's four no, no, no. shows. Yeah, no, no, I'm not, I'm not bitching, but I'm saying their whole, their whole shtick is we could play four shows without repeating a song, right? We've got our own, we've got our own catalog that we could dive deep into, and um, you know, the the last set of a four four night run, and they're still playing Number Line and Forty Six Days. I'm not going to complain about any of it. I'd love to hear t- Sand. I, I'm sad I didn't. The twist I thought was good, but. Again, they played it a bunch on a short tour. I think I feel like they could yeah. break a little bit more out. Maybe I'm if yeah. if we're if we're splitting hairs. They're, they're Fish tired. loves number line. Fish loves number line. I love number line. I do too. It means a lot. Yeah, it's gonna happen. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, like I can do without meat stick, but I don't care that they played it. Just they had played it in Dallas or whatever. That's just me and meat stick. Um, anyway, so I went dead covers. Yeah. Ending on Space Oddity was. I mean, perfect. while obvious was perfect, I think. Yep. And yep. speaking, like I was at Wrigley and saw the debut, and I think it's fair to say that was my favorite fish moment I experienced live this year. Like, yeah, just because. I mean, talk about completely out of nowhere then, and just hearing that arrangement for the first time, and hearing while it was weird to see them at Wrigley, like that sort of sing along with 40,000 people was pretty incredible. And so to circle back to that was, you know, that, that was the right call. And, uh, yeah, a a good place, good place to end. What was a pretty good tour? I thought, yeah, you know, and I I know that there were people during the encore break who were like, Oh my God, they're going to come back and play YEM. But I think that anybody with any sense would have remembered that they just played three sets and they're, you know, yeah, they could come back and play YAM, but you might not want them to because they're <laughs> probably tired. I mean, they just, you know, especially as kind of kick ass as that third set was. So we didn't get a YAM on this tour. You know, they'll they'll probably open with it at MSG on the 28th and uh, everybody will all will be forgiven. Yeah, they'll play it every night. Yeah, or YAM. <laughs> 13 nights in a row. Uh, <laughs> Trey was tired from walking around the whole time in that fancy shirt. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> silk. 
Anyway, all right. So thanks so much. This is I think we've um, we've reviewed the fall tour enough, and and hopefully everyone enjoyed it. Rob, thanks so much again for taking the time. Um, again, check Rob out at Fish Crit and at Rob Mitchum on Twitter. Um, he's also got a bunch of great stuff on Medium, which I'm guessing is just under at Rob Mitchum. Yeah. Okay. Under the same same handle. Cool. Cool. Uh, he's a great writer, and he also works at uh, RJ's alma mater, so um, University of Chicago. So that's pretty cool. And thanks again for taking the time to to be on the, the cast, and we'll have you back again, obviously. Jonathan, thanks, man. We're going to play some music, right? Yeah, of course. Um, okay, there's going to be a whole bunch of music coming up after all of this talking stuff, guys. So yeah. make sure you we stick may, around and listen. I may interlace it too. We'll see how we'll see what happens. But um That's crazy talk. Let's 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 wrap it up and maybe we'll pull the professor on the dead pod and just kind of like end with the music and then the then the podcast stops. So Well I'd um, I'd like to thank everyone for picking us up this week. Yeah, yeah thanks for picking us up. We couldn't help you or we couldn't have this without your contributions. Um but seriously check us out at HFPod on Twitter Email us at helpingfriendlypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we do have stickers and, and, and mugs, and we're going to try to get those out to people. Rob, look for yours. It's, it's coming, I promise. Um, All right. The other All thing right. is check out Under the Scales, Tom Marshall's new podcast. Uh, RJ and Jonathan were just on the most recent episode um, about tapers, and that's it's a great podcast. Um, in fact, I'm a little scared because it's it's really good. So you guys, but keep listening to us. Keep us in your feed, <laughs> right? Please. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but seriously, thanks again, everybody. Um, we will have some fall tour music. So, um, Jonathan, you gotta you gotta sign us out. I I, I can't say Brad's or RJ's line, so I'll just say <laughs> um, uh, thanks for picking us up this week. <laughs> Awesome. All right, Rob. Thanks so much. Um, Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk soon. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
slow motion Feet are in the clay I'm going nowhere Been standing here all day I had a notion There was something more to do As I watched the water From the banks of the river It swelled and grew And I tilt to the left Lean to the right
Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. <laughs> 